Hello and welcome to the Explorations on Feminist Leadership, a podcast by the 2021 cohort of the One Future Fellows, where we discuss, examine and learn about all things feminist leadership. Thank you for tuning in. It's lovely to have you here. Let's begin with a brief introduction of your host. Hi, my name is Chandni. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a student and writer based in Bangalore, and I'm super excited to be here today. Hi, I'm Deepa, and I'm an ME consultant in the impact sector, and my pronouns are she and her, and I'm equally thrilled to be a part of this conversation. Hello, my name is Netanya, currently a yoga coach based out of Bombay. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm also very excited to begin. Uh, On that note, uh, in today's podcast, we are going to reflect upon parenting in popular culture. But before we begin, I would like to invite both of you to share what does feminist leadership really mean to you? Chani, would you like to go first? Sure. To me, feminist leadership is a radical restructuring of what we're told leadership must look like today. Um, Instead of this model of rugged individualism, I think feminist leadership is shaped more like community. It's anti-caste, it's intersectional, it sparks curiosity, and it's underlined by empathy. What about you, Netanya? Wow, Chandni, I could not have said it better. But the only thing I'd like to add to that is my understanding of feminist leadership is one that values people over profit to uh, build a more gentle and nurturing environment rather than one that's focused solely on productivity. I'm thinking of positive reinforcement. I believe that this in turn helps foster creativity, equity, compassion, inclusivity, and overall builds a more um, empowering environment rather than one that's just dominating in the status quo and hierarchical in nature. Wow, that's such a beautiful articulation, Netanya. Uh, If I were to further build on it, I think what stands out also is the idea uh, of embracing imperfection in feminist leadership and enabling other leaders as well. And an approach that breaks the stereotype around who the leader is, who the leader really is, right? Uh, doesn't have to be aggressive or loud, but rather can be empathetic, kind, and strong at the same time. Um, so this this brings to uh, this brings me to another important aspect, where I would really like to invite you, Chandni, to define some key aspects or words that we would be using here in the conversation going forward. Sure. So today we're really going to be talking about parenting and gender roles and unpaid labor and how those things have impacted our lives. So the work that's done within our households, who performs that work, why do they perform that work, and do we really see it and value that work? So while our parents may have been our moms and our dads, have there been other people in our households who have fulfilled that role? And is the work that they do defined by their gender or by the kind of uh, role that they had within the household? Um, but one other important aspect that we want to talk about is pop culture. So, Netanya, do you want to kind of define that for us? 
Absolutely. Thank you for clarifying the semantics. Um, pop culture is a phrase that gets thrown around quite a bit. And to be honest with you, I use it, but I don't actually know how to define it. So with a little bit of reading, here's what I gathered. Um, it's a collective uh, mass of cultural products that could include music, art, literature, fashion, film, and or even radio. The idea of pop culture is to be accessible and to appeal to the masses. Now, I also realize that the problem lies within this very sentence. Um, catering to the masses that historically have erased or ignored certain groups and the marginalized makes the situation slightly problematic. So with this perspective, understanding that we want to be more inclusive, we want to better represent uh, our global population, I'm very curious to ask you, the both of you, which TV show or movie character comes to mind when you think of the perfect parent? That's um, such a tricky question, Netanya. Because uh, for me, I never had any one particular idea of a perfect parent. Growing up in a joint family, there were so many parent figures around me, from my grandmother to my uncles, who were equally involved in raising us. So, uh, and everyone had such different parenting approaches. My grandmother represented a different generation as compared to my uncles and my parents. And my parents were probably more progressive. and. But if I have to come back to answering your question, then I think uh, of Anupam Kher's character in Kuch Kuch Hota Hai, which was very intriguing in those times while growing up because he was very understanding, friendly with his daughter, being okay with her, being friends with other gender, um, which was very different from my parenting. Um, so, yeah. That's actually quite interesting to me because... You know, I'm from Kerala. I didn't even grow up in India, but Bollywood is so ubiquitous that even my example comes from there. Uh, I think of Jaya Bachchan from Kabhi Kushi Kabhi Gum. Like to me, growing up, that was everything that a mother should be, everything that a wife should be. And so much of what I learned about parenting, so much of what I learned about how to be a good mom, came from the kind of trope that she fulfilled. Um, but, you know, we actually spoke to a bunch of other folks from various different backgrounds. And here's what they had to say. While growing up, I didn't have anyone to look up to as my role model or someone to look up to. But now, when I see we queer Aditya Sahai, I understand, I realize they are someone I want to keep looking up to. They are someone I want to inspire myself by. And I would say that my parents resemble a lot uh, to Will Smith in Pursuit of Happiness. And um, remarkable persistence and uh, compassion for the child. For me, the idea of being a perfect parent comes to my mind by remembering one of the characters which was played by Farooq Sheikh. Uh, in a Bollywood movie, which is Ye Jawani Hai Diwani. So, you know, where he tells his son that, you know, whatever you wish to do in your life, whatever places you want to travel in your life, just go ahead and whatever you want to do, uh, just remember that I'm always with you. Uh, 
Wow, those are some compelling perspectives. Um, you know, this reminds me of a show that I'm currently watching. It's called Grace and Frankie. And I'm realizing just how refreshing it is to have um, appropriate representation of older people in this show. It's making me reflect quite a bit on my own implicit biases. And they're shocking. This is something I'd like to bring up because as we discuss pop culture, we can only hope to see better representation, as I mentioned earlier as well. And not only that, but I hope that we're the ones who make this happen. That's so true. And, you know, I think that these examples really highlight the kind of responsibilities that parents are expected to fulfill, the roles they're expected to play within the home. And how their identities are kind of shaped around the roles that they have to play. Um, it even gives us a platform to reflect on the kind of work, especially the invisible work, particularly that mothers perform within the household. So I just wanted to ask y'all, how do you define care work and how do you think you value it? That's a very difficult question for me personally, Chandni. If I be vulnerable here, I think I'm guilty of not really recognizing the care work that my mother has done for us. And my mother has played that role in the family. I remember uh, while growing up, my father would probably take it for granted and invite guests and not even ask her if she is ready to cook a meal for so many people or be there. Or even while we were growing up, she would be ready with the you know, she would make sure we wear ironed uniforms and our batches are in place, our shoes are polished and we never even thanked her for any of these things. I never remember, I don't remember saying thank you to her very explicitly. And I think my mother also internalized this, that this isn't real work. And for a long period of time, she never would put up a fight or disagree with us. But I think COVID has really shaken us up and all of us and there's definitely more acknowledgement now there is definitely um, she puts up a fight saying that excuse me like I am doing this and this is work so I think that's great now so yes Deepa thank you for sharing that I recognize the vulnerability and I truly appreciate it I think it's extremely important to call ourselves out when we need to be called out I also think it's really infuriating to notice how this care work, like you, like you described, how the devaluation of care work is not only internalized, but it's also institutionalized. I'm thinking of uh, instances, for example, when we're filling forms, this um, category of homemaking, it either never appears or it appears so far away from quote unquote respectable and well-paying jobs. And I can tie that back to um, our society that is capitalistic in nature and just has conditioned us to believe that what isn't paid for is worthless, which is then a vicious cycle, right? Because care work is extremely valuable. We have forgotten how intensive it is, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally. It's time intensive as well, and it can be very complex. Uh, the fact that we aren't able to remunerate the care work is really infuriating. Another thing I've noticed is 
um the fact that identities of parents especially younger parents are so uh, deeply and intricately involved as their care as caregivers that uh, it, they find it quite hard to actively engage as active as members of society uh, i don't want to speak for parents here but i'm noticing this um in family someone i know recently had a child and they're they're sacrificing care work is quite sacrificial and i think the fact that most of the time there is no choice provided it's important to uh, be supportive of it and uh, give the appropriate resources for this kind of work what do you think chandni that's actually very very true and you know when we think about the institution of care work we really do need to be more critical about our care economy and so we spoke to dr prerna kumar of the international center for research on women she's a technical specialist with extensive experience in all things gender and here's what she had to say essentially what we need to understand is that because this is a piece of work that uh, we don't have any monetary value attached to it it is the most invisible work right uh, so for instance often you would see women in the household women and girls in the household who take care of all the tasks now it's a very gendered understanding and division uh, in in terms of division of labor like men are supposed to go out and earn and provide for the women in the family right it it basically is influenced by that thought uh now if if men are supposed to go and provide for the family and women are supposed to take care of all the tasks back at home uh what unfortunately happens visibility of these tasks and not understanding what it takes to really run a household also influences uh, the way we value this piece of work now the moment um, and i think uh, you know it's important to also say that um, any task that women undertake because those tasks are not really counted for within the household they are not counted for even at the level of our overall economy i mean even in our uh, economic system our gdp doesn't account for unpaid care work at any given point our national accounting systems don't really take it into consideration so what it does is it uh, essentially takes away the power of decision making because constantly women are seen as being provided for and no one really attaches any sort of economic value uh, to the uh, unpaid care work and all the emotional work that goes into it um now if if this is the state of affairs then clearly the domestic workers who actually take on that role if um, if you know uh, we we kind of employ them automatically that undervaluation and invisibility gets attached to that piece of work also i must also say that it is uh, as far as domestic workers are concerned we also need to um, look at the intersectionality of caste class and unpaid care work because who are these women who are actually having to go out and work as uh, housemates the way we call them 
to earn a living and uh, most often these are women who have migrated from their uh, from from their villages or migrated to urban spaces and um, you know who who did not have possibly access to land back in the village uh, and mostly uh, we do see that these are women who come from uh, the the so called lower castes uh, within the indian caste hierarchy now having said that um, it's it's also important to remember that all of these tasks because they are they are mundane and there is a uh, very little opportunity of growth or learning um, it again kind of falls into uh, falls rather out of the uh, typical definition of decent work where you are paid for what you do uh, fair wages you also have some kind of social security to that paid work and you also have opportunities of growth all these three then go missing from that piece of work that the the maids in our uh, urban homes really uh, undertake i think we also need to now start working towards really estimating the fair and equitable wage in the care sector um, and we really need to start looking at the criticality of care jobs especially in the context of covid i think there is a greater realization uh, at least on part of women particularly that uh, you know uh, the work that they engage in is absolutely devalued and uh, there is very little uh, that they receive back and there is very little support that they receive from uh, the Thank you, Ms. Kumar. This perspective um, really puts me in my reflection zone, and if I indulge in it, it brings me to this question, which bothers me right now: that does willingly performing unpaid work make someone unfeminist? And I would really want to understand what you both think here about it. uh i'd like to go first here because immediately as soon as you said this i thought of the fact that um the fact that we're even looking for a definition of feminism means that we're conforming to the status quo which is inherently unfeminist i believe that within feminist leadership or within a feminist society we should be adapting more fluid definitions especially in this dynamic and ever changing world and more importantly within the context of parenting which is such a subjective conversation and there's no one way to be a parent a good parent uh we definitely i definitely think we should be striving to deconstruct these very rigid roles and definitions uh and do away with boxing people in and encourage freedom of choice here but at the same time like i said earlier i think it's really important to provide the resources to make this choice it isn't simply about liberty but it is also about making sure that this person or as a caregiver as a parent is able to survive in society not only financially but also um within other aspects being able to socialize and things like that i think i mentioned this earlier as well um one last thing i want to point out here is something i realized quite late about myself the fact that being repulsive to work towards care work i think could be an outcome of internalized misogyny 
the fact that we believe uh, our careers and our lives as or you know homemakers or simply people who own homes and are required to do domestic chores exists mutually exclusively we've been conditioned to believe that and for the longest time i didn't value uh, kitchen skills as life skills i solely you know attributed them to a gender and now that i've been um, more aware of this space i've realized that these are life skills and not we shouldn't be abolishing them but we should be normalizing that people overall should be um, better caregivers overall you know regardless of gender here that's very true i i agree with that i think uh, like what you said is so correct about how domestic work is a life skill it's uh, it should be removed from the idea of gender and made more equitable within the household and you know i think back to my grandmother who tells me stories of in the morning like cooking lunch for my mom and her brother and then going to school as a, to work as a teacher and then coming back and then performing more domestic work and to her it wasn't really a feminist stance it was just getting things done because if she didn't do it nobody else in the household would and i think about how a lot of uh, individuals who do perform domestic work it's just about getting things done it's just about making sure you know like your kids are fed and your house is clean and you're able to bring in the household income but as we move forward what i think we need to focus on is building spaces like you said netanya where individuals are able to make choice and exert self determination and be imperfect in their own journey to feminism as long as they hold themselves accountable like if i make a mistake i should be able to hold myself accountable and you know rectify that mistake but that doesn't mean i shouldn't be vulnerable or that we shouldn't be vulnerable with one another because in in order to build resilient communities of care we need to be able to share with each other when we're afraid or when we make mistakes and boxing people into this idea of being a bad feminist or having their actions be labeled as unfeminist is actually more regressive it relies on these very binary oppressive punitive constructs of justice i think that you know like you said a radical restructuring of accountability and justice is more fluid it makes space for compassion and empathy and you know as it exists now it's always the most marginalized who fall victim to these imperialist forms of justice like cancel culture silences or cancels bahujan women more than those it should right like those like me from oppressor caste who wield even in my indirect ways the power to dictate someone's value based on the work they do or don't perform and really looking forward i think we should be evaluating our families thinking about ungendering our families eradicating brahminical patriarchy from our households um i think in the future our families are going to look very different from how they do now like i personally don't think the future is female i think it's going to be non binary i think we're 
going to be seeing more queer families, more children raised in conflict zones, more adoptive families. And within that context, Netanya, Deepa, do you think someone can be both a good parent as well as a feminist? Um, I think when you're talking about ungendering families and not putting people in boxes, I am actually quite excited right now to share a very hopeful example, slightly hopeful example actually around better representation in popular culture. Um, recently, I was watching an advertisement by this detergent brand Ariel, where they came up with a series of short TV commercials that encourage sons or male partners to share the care work at home by giving out the message that share the load. And even though they look at gender as very binary here, like you're saying, but it's definitely a shift even in the binary representation of the gender roles or the expectations of parenting in popular culture. So I see some hope there and I see some change or movement towards a better representation. So, yes. Deepa, I think that example ties things up quite beautifully for us. Um, I also believe this brings us to the end of the podcast. But I'd like to quickly summarize because we had some really important and in critical conversations today. We discussed about ungendering families seeking better representation in pop culture. We discussed about encouraging self-reflection and knowing that this would transform families and eventually communities. Um, we also discussed that it's important to institutionalize the recognition and the remuneration of care work. Um, we discussed a more compassionate, fluid definition that even uh, allows for uh, and the understanding of families to move beyond blood relations. Um, and lastly, we were left to think about Chandni's question about whether we can be feminists and parents at the same time. Uh, Chandni and Deepa, it's been absolutely lovely to be discussing all of this with you. Would you have something to say? Yes, I think that this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you to both of you for all of your insights and for being so vulnerable with us today. I think this has been very special to me. I also want to say a very special thanks to all those who submitted sound bites. To Shai, a writer from Bombay. To Mridal, a program manager from Jammu and Kashmir. To Saurav, a techie from Jaipur. And of course, to Dr. Prerna Kumar from ICRO. Thank you so much for your inputs. We deeply appreciate them. Thank you, Chani and Netanya. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us and listening in today. We really, really appreciate your support. If you like this episode, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at One Future Collective and at One Future underscore India on Twitter. And keep an eye out for future episodes of Explorations on Feminist Leadership by One Future Fellows 2021. Please leave your questions, comments, or feedback for us on Anchor or in our DMs. We look forward to hearing your thoughts. Until next time, take care of yourself, and we hope that we explore more together. Bye!